So again, welcome. Hope you feel at home here. And now let's uh, welcome up our head pastor, Van Cochran, for the message. Thanks, Nick. That did not sound very enthusiastic to me. That was, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I've told some of you this joke personally. I expect you to laugh extra hard, but wait for the punchline. Okay. So, um, there's these, these office workers and a woman uh, said to a coworker, you know, I'm going to get the next couple days off. And he said, well, how are you going to do that? You know, it's, you know, you've, you've used all your time and everything. And she said, just watch and learn. And so uh, when the manager came into the room, she saw him coming and she reached up and grabbed a pipe above this, high up in the ceiling and hooked her legs over and hung upside down. And uh, the manager said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm a light bulb. And he looked at her and he said, you you are so stressed out that you think you're a light bulb. You need to take a couple days off. So she swings down off the pipe, and the, the guy is catching on to what's happening now, so he starts packing up his bag, and the boss says to him, well, where are you going? And he says, well, I can't work in the dark. <laughs> yeah, I like that one, too. I like that one, too. Okay, so um, tell me if you get this one. I like this one, because I'm a fan of old westerns. But a lot of trouble could have been saved in the Old West if the city planners had just designed the towns to be big enough for everybody. Get it? You know, this town's not big enough for both of us? Okay. All right, all right, all right. All right, let's see how this one goes over. Maybe this will be our last one. Okay, a woman saw her husband standing on the scale in the morning, and he's standing there, and he's sucking his gut in as far as he can, and she looks at him, she kind of laughs, and she says, that's not going to help, and he says, well, yes, it does, that's the only way I can see the numbers on the scale. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to put a check mark beside that one. Awesome. Hey, how many of you were here last week for Mark Marks? Yeah, wasn't that awesome? I, I loved uh, just spending the time with Mark that we got to. We were really privileged because Mark uh, came into town on Tuesday, and then he needed a couple days off, so we gave him some time off. But then, if you weren't here to hear this, um, Mark is from Coleraine, Ireland. Okay, we are Coleraine, Ohio, and Coleraine, Ohio was founded by a man named John Dunlap. And he was from Coleraine, Ireland. And one of the interesting things is that as Mark, we took Mark driving around and driving down some of the ridge roads that we have here, you know, where you're, you're driving on top of a, a ridge, and every once in a while, you can just see for miles and miles. And Mark said, this really feels like Coleraine, Ireland. He said, this, this land feels like Coleraine. And we thought, well, that's probably why he chose this piece of land. And, and this, this territory, and named it uh, after Coleraine, his hometown. But um, we were really privileged and blessed by the township because the township trustees made a declaration that April 21st, 
uh, which was the weekend, uh, well, just a week ago Thursday, uh, that April 21st would be declared to be Coleraine Ireland Day here in this township. And that was all in honor of having a citizen from Coleraine Ireland here uh, to, to minister and serve in our community. So there was a presentation up at the administration building with uh, one of the uh, township trustees and other township officials were there and pictures were taken. And uh, so it was just really awesome because they even have a, a, a big piece of granite that they had shipped over from Coleraine, Ireland, which is one of the centerpieces of the, there's a rotunda in the administration building, and one of the centerpieces of it. And so they welcomed Mark and, uh, and just opened the arms of the community to him, which, you know, we're really just thinking, well, that's just so cool because so much great stuff is happening in Coleraine, Ireland. They are seeing revival there. I mean, Mark said what they're doing, healing on the streets, they've been doing for 11 years. And he said it took them years before they really started to see real breakthrough. And now they have people coming from all over Ireland and all over England to come and to sit in one of their chairs when they do healing on the streets. And it's just a, just a phenomenal thing. They've seen thousands of people come to Christ. Uh, their church is just vibrant and alive and having a profound impact on the community. And um, their view is that uh, we are going to influence the community with the kingdom of God. And so, he, they, they, and, and the senior pastor there, I got to speak with Lori and I, and Wilson and Jen got to spend some time with him. His name is Alan Scott. And um, I, I hope we get to hear Alan sometime. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you are Sockham students here? Okay, you heard Alan the first semester he spoke. But um, um, they are, Mark mentioned several times, we're starting businesses in the community. And so I got to talk to him about that because when I hear him say that, I'm thinking, well, okay, what does that mean? Do you like have a fund that you are, you are starting businesses that the church owns in the community? And he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, our people he, they're training people, they're blessing people, and just calling God's presence into people's lives to go out into the community and dream with God and, and develop a business that's, that's based on just wise, sound business principles, but is also just feel, filled with this whole idea of finding divine solutions and finding divine direction for what they're doing. And I just thought, man, that is so awesome. And so powerful, and that was one of the things that uh, one of the township trustees was uh, very interested in when Mark mentioned that to him. But um, we're just looking at this all, and, and I mean, I think that the anointing there is something that he deposited here. And the connection of the name, and, and the, the man from uh, John Dunlap started this whole, this whole community of uh, Coleraine Township. There's a connection there kind of a heart-to-heart connection that we really hope to develop more. But um, Mark even said this. He said, look, he said, we've, we've, we've battled this for like eight years before we saw it really start to take off. He said, you guys don't have to do that. He said, of course, it's, it's not going to just start off where theirs is. It's going to take perseverance, but we're not going to have to fight the same spiritual battles they did because we, we get to kind of like tie in with their anointing. And, and tie in with the blessing that God's already poured out on them. 
And so um, I, I just want to say that if you were here last week, if you saw some of the healings take place, if you saw some of the legs grow and, and other things that happen, just open your heart to that and receive it. And, and even, even right now, I'm going to pray. And I just want to encourage us all just to say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, here we are a week later. We don't want to forget about this. We don't want to let this lie. We don't want to just say, okay, great weekend, yippee, when's the next great weekend? We want to get in the flow of this. And so, Holy Spirit, come and move in our hearts. So let's pray that right now, okay? Just, just open your heart to God with me. You know what they would say? Um, they came up with this thing where they tell people, wash your hands and then hang them out to dry. You get that? Okay. Like we always treat, teach, we always say, I always say, hey, hold your hands out as if God's going to drop you a present out of heaven. I think that might be better than wash your hands and hold them out to dry. But uh, um, if, you, if you do, just, just put your hands in your lap and just hold them up like this as a sign of God. I'm ready to receive. Uh, so, Father, thank you. Thank you for your incredible love for us. And thank you that your love doesn't stop with us, just the, those of us in this room. Thank you that your presence doesn't stop at the boundaries of our property. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that we experience you here so, so, so regularly. We get refreshed here. Thank you for that. But thank you, Father, that it goes beyond that. Your love goes beyond that. And Father, we, we need your anointing. And even as uh, you sent Mark here to teach us and to train us and to pass on anointing to us, we just open our hearts right now to receive that. We, we open our hearts right now to embrace and we say thank you. Just tell them thank you. Just tell them that. Just tell them that out loud. Let's just say thank you together. Just ready? Thank you. Thank you, God. And, and as a church body, we receive that anointing into the heart of our church body. And we, want to, we just want to be in a flow of what you're doing and in a flow of your love and a flow of your presence. We know that, goes, that goes, uh, it goes on here, but it goes on out there too. And so, Father, I even, I even pray that you'll begin to put creative uh, business models in people's minds from our church body. And begin to stir people to see needs in the community or to see opportunities. And then to go out into the community in, in your power and with your wisdom. And to release businesses out in the community that will not only bless the community and provide jobs for other people. But just take your presence right out there, right out into the, right out into the marketplace and, and into people's lives all over this township and all over this city in this region. So, Father, thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. You know, what I want, what I want to do today is talk about intimacy with God. Um, we've been learning for weeks now about our identity in Christ. And, and by that, we mean that when a person comes to Jesus... The old identity that we derived from Adam and Eve, which was a fallen identity, which gave us hearts that, although we might have acknowledged or recognized that there was a God, we had hearts that didn't know how to find him, didn't know what he looked like, didn't know how to seek him. So our hearts were dead spiritually. We were dead spiritually. And when we come to Jesus, we come to life. 
He gives us new hearts. And he also gives us his righteousness. This is a huge, huge part of our growing understanding of what it means to be in Christ. He gives us his righteousness. And if, if, if you want to think more about that, go back to the message that Wilson gave on Wednesday nights. It was the second message in the series a couple months ago. You can find it on our podcast. But I remember Will saying, because it struck me so profoundly, could God ever be unhappy with his own righteousness? Could he be? No, he could, come on. Could he be? No, he couldn't be, could he? It's, but he's given you his righteousness. He took your sin. He gave you a new heart and he, ma- he gave you his righteousness. So he can't look at you and be unhappy. I mean, he can, as a parent, he can want to guide you along the path and want to help you to walk this out, of course. But he can't look at you and be disappointed or unhappy or shake his head or take a step back and say, I expected better out of you. And, and so we have this righteousness, but we also have the call of God that, G, that Jesus had. And Jesus said, even as I've been sent, I'm sending you. The same way I've been sent. You think about that. God the Father sent Jesus from heaven. And he sent him into this world with a mission. And Jesus says, okay, now I'm sending you into the world. Just like the Father sent me, I started this. I got it going. I did what needed to be done to get you back in relationship with God, to give you new hearts, to give you my righteousness. Now I'm sending you out on my mission. And in that, he commissioned us with his authority and his power. Now, we have those things, and yet there are times I pray for people, and I don't see the same results that I saw Mark have. In fact, a couple times, we prayed for somebody, and nothing happened, and then Mark came and prayed for them, and bang, just like that, they're relieved. The pain's gone. In one case, the leg grew. I mean, it was an inch shorter. We're commanding it to grow. It's not growing. Mark comes over. Poop, there it is right out. What's the deal with that? I mean, I'm older than him. I've been in ministry longer than him. That's not fair. What's going on? Maybe you think that too. Oh, well, he just has a special anointing. Oh, he's special. That kind of thinking will kill us. I look at someone else and I think, oh, they're special. They're, th- that's, he's the man of God. I think that way, then what, I do, what I'm saying is I'm just this. And I will never walk out my destiny thinking that way. I will never fulfill what God's put in my life, what he wants to do through me thinking that way. No, I look at that and I say, hey, okay, Mark, what's the deal with this? What, what, uh, how, 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 you know, what do I need to do to press more into that? And the answer is twofold. One, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Don't worry about failure. Don't worry about what other people think. You keep doing it because Jesus told us to. Because Jesus said, I'm sending you the same way I was sent. And Jesus said, I came to heal the sick. I came to release the captives. I came to deliver the demonized. I came to open eyes of the blind. And I'm sending you just like that. And he says, go out and heal the sick. And so do it. Keep doing it. But the thing that I got out of my conversations with Mark, which wasn't new to me. If, if I had really, I mean, it wasn't new, but it was kind of like at that moment in time, the thing I needed to hear. Do you know what I mean by that? 
you know, like there's things you know and there are things you've been practicing and maybe you knew them more at one time than you know them now or you're more engaged with them than, with that truth than you are now. But it was this, intimacy. Intimacy with the Father. It is when I have a growing intimacy with the Father. See, that's what puts the pieces together. That's what energizes this new heart God's given me. That's, that's what connects the authority with the heart and with the power and with the righteousness and with the ministry of Jesus. It is intimacy with the Father. And so we see Jesus, and Jesus had this intimate, intimate relationship with the Father, and everything he did flowed out of his intimacy with the Father. And, and so it, it really, God put it on my heart to talk about that today and to ask some questions about uh, growing intimacy and, and how can we have a growing intimacy with God. And, and I came to Psalm 42. I want to read you some of these verses from Psalm 42. Here the psalmist, this wasn't David that wrote this, but one of the other psalm writers. He said this, he said, as the deer pants for streams of water. How many of you like that old, the old King James translation, the water brooks? I like the old, as the deer pants for the water brooks. That's just so flows. But the, the idea is a deer here, you know, this is a dry, arid land. It's desert. Anybody traveling in this land is going to get thirsty and they're going to become parched with thirst. And here you picture a deer that's, that's uh, I picture it running for its life. It's being chased. And, and if it doesn't find the water, if it doesn't get this refreshment, it's going to collapse. It can't go on. There's, nothing, there's, nothing, there's no hope for it if it can't find the water. It's desperate. And so he says just like that, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's the question. When do, when, when, uh, God, I want more of you. I need to know you more. I need to, I need to, under, I need to experience your life more. And when, uh, in God, this is so in my heart. And, and he says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And then he says this, by day, the Lord directs his love, and he means towards me. By day, God directs his love, and I receive it. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And so he says here, my soul thirsts for God. Not religion, but God. And there is a difference between religion and living relationship with God. Religion is satisfied far too easily. Religion is satisfied with simply going through a ritual, with doing the thing we're supposed to do, with dressing a certain way, with acting a certain way. Religion is all on the outside. Religion demands things of others. Religion pretends it's something that it isn't. Religion kills Spirit of religion, the spirit of God, the spirit of life, real life is what this psalmist is, is yearning for. God, I, I want the living God. I've got to know the living God. I'm going to die if I don't know the living God. 
Remember that deer is going to die if it doesn't find the water. Its life depends on it. And he's saying, that's how I feel. I feel like life is of no value to me if I can't find the living God, if I can't be in relationship with him and know him and experience his presence. And he even says this, he says, I know God loves me. I know God loves me. You know, I walk in his love all the time. And at night, his song is in my heart. I think it may be even part of the answer right there. That at night, his song is in my heart. So the psalmist here is picturing himself lying in bed at night saying, oh God, I want to know you. Oh God, I want to be in your presence. I want to experience you more fully. I, I want to be in this intimate, close love relationship with you. You know, in my own life personally, um, uh, we went through a lot of years where we were in a church system that focused on uh, the power of teaching and intellect and understanding. And, th- and that was pretty much, you know, what, what I viewed Christianity as was understanding more. And, and my view of the Holy Spirit's work was, yeah, he's here, he's active, he's working, but it's a secret work. It's not anything you see. It's not anything you ever experience. He just works to open your mind so you can understand Scripture more. And, and he might give you wisdom for a situation. But beyond that, there's no speaking. There's no interaction between the individual and God other than through the Bible. And let me say, the Bible is the place we all start. And when we really begin to engage in this real hunger for God, one of the things that happens is the Bible comes to life for us. And the Holy Spirit does show us things in his word that just light our hearts and our lives up. But I remember in those years, as, um, as the years wore on, and, and in ministry and in frustration over different, different um, ministry in people's lives, I remember one time sitting with a man that had been struggling with these habitual sin patterns that he just couldn't seem to break. And I'm just sitting there thinking, oh God, I, you know, I, I wish the charismatics were right. You know, I wish that I could lay hands on this guy and just say, be healed. I, now, it's always both, okay? I don't want to say there's, a, don't want to imply here that there is that simple thing. But my heart began to yearn for more. And, and I began to say to myself, wait a second. If this is a relationship, then why, you know, I I know you wrote me this letter and I love it and wow, I love studying it and I love teaching it, but I want to experience your presence. I, I just, I have to experience your presence. If I can't experience your presence, then I don't know, I just, this doesn't seem to make sense. And, and that hunger really, really kind of drove me to begin to, along with some other things that happened, to really begin to, to reassess my overall theology about experiencing God and about the Holy Spirit's work today, which ultimately led us to uh, where we are today. But it's a hunger for God. That we're created to hunger for God. You know that? We are created to hunger for God. Uh, Adam and Eve, in the book of Genesis, do we have that verse? Can we pop that verse up there, please? Genesis, um, all right. Okay, um, is it up there? Okay, good. So here, um, this is Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, all right? It says, 
the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. All right, the way that is written and the way it's described, it sounds like a repetitive thing. That at the end of their day, God showed up. At the end of their day, God came and they walked with God. And he's looking for them. And then, of course, this is where he, he looks for them and they're hiding from him on this occasion. But the whole thing implies that this was something they did on a regular basis. And so they're there in the garden with God. And at the end of the day, God would come and be with them. Now, think of this as prayer. You know, sometimes people say, well, prayer is just talking with God. And that's really true. That is what it is. But we also have this notion in our minds, particularly in Western evangelical Christianity, that prayer is asking God for things. We view prayer almost more as transactional than relational. It's like putting in a request. It's like, what form do I have to fill out to get vacation time? Or, or what form do I have to fill out to get, to get this And so prayer is me coming to God and saying, okay, God, I need this. You know, we need finances right now. You know, my kid is sick. Uh, I need you to give the doctor's wisdom or heal my child. So we view it in this transactional way. But with God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, and and this this walking occurred prior to the uh, fall of man, and this walking in the garden... It wasn't like they could, would go to him and say, hey, uh, God, uh, you know, we're sick. We need you to heal us because there wasn't any sickness yet. It wasn't like they would go and say, well, God, we need money. You know, we're paying some bills. There's a bill due. Don't know what to do about that. Can you, can you intervene? They didn't have any bills. All right, so there were no things like that to ask God for. Here's what I imagine was happening on those walks. They start walking along and God says, well, Adam, how's the garden doing? Because he put God, he put Adam there to tend the garden. And I picture Adam saying, you know, the garden's going really well, God. We're, you know, we're cultivating the trees. And, uh, but God, today I was on the east side of the garden and I saw four different kinds of beetles within like just a few minutes. And what's up with that? I mean, they all look, they're different sizes, they're different colors. I mean, why did you create four Instead of just one, couldn't one beetle have done the job? And I mean, why, why did you create four? And God chuckles and says, four, <laughs> wait till you see the rest of the world. You're going to see how many different beetles I really created. But he learns about the creative heart of God. And he learns about God's, about God's love for his creation by asking that question. And then Eve, you know, Eve liked fruit. So here's what I picture Eve <laughs> I think here is Eve's question. She says, okay, Lord, I got one for you. I ate two pieces of fruit today, trees right beside each other. They looked a little different, but they still looked a lot the same. One of those pieces, they're both yellow, the fruit. One of those pieces of fruit was yellow, and it was round, and it was kind of like tart and sweet at the same time and real crisp. Really liked it. But then the other piece of fruit was kind of narrow at the top, and then it got fat at the bottom. And when I bit into it, it was so juicy. Juice just ran down off my chin. There was no tartness there at all. It was all sweet. Now, God, how can two different, I mean, how can they both come from trees? And, and what's up with that? And God explains to them what's happening and how he made the creation and what his heart was. 
And I can't help but imagine they would have said, well, what's the future hold, God? I know you told us to fill this, to fill the earth, to reproduce image bearers. And, and so what's the future hold? You know, where are our children going to go and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren? What's going to happen with all of that? And so they would have been interacting with God, talking to God, getting to know God. They would have had an intimate friend-to-friend relationship with God. And really, that's what Jesus had. That's what Jesus had. You know, when Jesus was baptized, something astounding happened. And uh, th- that was uh, Jesus in, is, um, in Luke, t- Luke 3, 21. Okay, Luke 3, 21. It says, now, when all the people were being baptized, it'll come up here in a second, Luke 3, 21. When all the people were being baptized, and when Jesus had been baptized and was praying... The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So leave the verse up, okay? Here Jesus is being baptized, and what's his focus on? You know, did I wear the right cloak today? Should I have worn the blue cloak instead of the brown cloak? I don't know. You know, is the the water going to mess up my hair? Are people going to laugh at me? Are they going to think that I'm being silly for being baptized right now? I mean, he's not thinking of any any stupid stuff like that. He's, He's just talking to God. He's talking to his Father. And whether he's praying under his breath or he's praying out loud or just in his mind and his heart is irrelevant because he's connecting with his Father. He's connecting with his Father. And at that moment, what happens? Heaven opens up. And the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on him. And the Father speaks to him. The Father speaks to him. And in that speaking, there is just this blessing and reassurance flows into the heart of Jesus that he's doing, he's on the right track. That, that, yes, this is all worth it. That, yes, I, I am still in relationship. I'm still in touch with my... He, just, he, he had a need to be in touch with his father. And, and so he's just opening his heart to God. And, and he said, Father, I love you. Father, I'm doing this to honor you. I, you know, I want to honor you. And he's baptized. And the Holy Spirit comes and heaven opens. And God blesses him. And you see, it is hearing his voice. It's hearing his voice that touches our hearts and gives us this greater intimacy with him, that leads us into greater intimacy with him. In fact, in the book of Amos, it actually says that uh, if, if you read uh, Amos 1, the whole chapter, it, it talks about the, the lack of them listening to God's voice. They wouldn't listen to God's voice. And so God stopped speaking because they weren't listening. And then all sorts of turmoil occurs because of that. But you see, it's, it's hearing his voice. It's the, the deep of my heart longing for the deep of his heart. It's allowing myself to be overcome with, as the psalmist put it, with the, his waves breaking over me. It's welcoming that. It, it's asking him to give me a deeper hunger Because the hunger starts with him. You know, the Bible says we love him. Why? Who knows? Because he first loved us. Okay? You know, one of the cool things, um, I've shared this before. I'm going to share it again. But um, one of the cool things that a friend shared with me not long ago was, in the Gospels, we refer to the Apostle John as the apostle whom Jesus loved. 
And we think, oh, well, Jesus loved him more than anyone else. And that's probably true, but we, I think this is probably the foundation of that. John was the one who understood that it was more about Jesus' love for him than his love for Jesus. And because he understood that, he was able to open his heart to receive the intimate love of Jesus. And so when we say a hunger for God, we're not saying, oh, to go to God, say, oh, God, I love you, I love you, I love you, oh, I love you, I love you, I'm, I'm going to prove it to you, I love you, I love you, please bless me, bless me, I love you. It's not us trying to persuade him. His love is given freely. That's part of, that's part of our inheritance as children of God through Jesus. His love is given freely. I am righteous in Christ. I don't have to prove anything to God. What I have to do is get over myself and just say, you love me. You love me. That's incredible that you love me. And when I begin to, then it stirs a hunger for more. I want more. I want more. I want more. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's not unlike um, two young lovers meeting each other and falling in love. And I know when I first met Lori and we got to talk and I'd look into her eyes and, and we interacted, it, it kind of like thrilled my heart and I wanted more. I, I want to talk to her more. Now, back in those di- days, this was the mid-70s, half of you here won't understand this, but we wrote letters. You know, you write on paper, you need to take it to a place called the post office. And, but we shared our hearts and we started to connect on a heart-to-heart level by writing to each other for several months. And we wanted more. We wanted more. We had to see each other because, because our hearts were being stirred because we were opening our hearts up. And so when I begin to understand the Father's love for me I mean, we can say, well, the Father's love is unconditional. And we've made that term almost like a technical term. It becomes a transactional thing. Yeah, the Father's love is unconditional, meaning, oh, I don't have to pay him for his love. But this, see, still we're looking at it in a transactional terms. We have, to, we have to think a different way. We have to break out of this whole transactional mentality when it comes to God and realize He's just like a dad loving his kid. I love my kids. I love them. I'd do anything for them. They don't have to do anything for me. I mean, I love it when they do. It blesses me. But I'm going to love them one way or the other. All they have to do is receive my love. And when they, they just walk in and receive my love. And when we do that with God, it stirs our hearts to want him more. And listen, here's, what, here's how this whole thing comes together then. Uh, when, when I'm growing in intimacy with him and I'm talking to him about life and he's telling me answers and he's giving me insights and, and I'm just hearing his voice and it's blessing my heart, what happens is I begin to see the world through his eyes. I begin to see other people through his eyes. And that's what Jesus did. He saw the world through his father's eyes. He said, I only do what I see the father doing. He said, I only say what the Father gives me to say. I look at people, I, I look at people through the eyes of the love of God. And when you and I grow in intimacy with him, then one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to start seeing people differently. That's why ministry opens up 
when we grow in intimacy with God. That's what puts the authority and the power and the righteousness and the new heart and the new desires. That's what draws them all together is it breaks the transactional mentality of, I got to go out and heal somebody. Well, let's see, how do I do that? I say the prayer this way. I hold my hand like this and Mark did this at the same time. He had his hand in his pocket. So um, put my hand in my pocket and then maybe it'll happen. That's transactional. That is religion. Okay? It's relational. It is. And, and John Wimber, this stunned me when I heard him say this in, a, in an old video. Uh, someone asked him, when you're ministering to somebody and you're trying to get words of knowledge for them, how do you do that? What are you thinking? Are you just saying, oh, God, show me what their real problem is? Oh, God, tell me about their childhood or, or what? And he says, no, he says, I'm just looking at them and trying to love them like God does. He says, I'm, say, I'm saying, oh, Father, show me, show me this person through your eyes. Let me see them through your eyes. Oh, Father, let me see their pain through your eyes. Let me see how they're handling this sickness or this trouble or this problem through your eyes. And when we do that, then the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority, then we don't even have to give that a thought. It flows. It comes together, and, and we minister out of compassion, the compassion of God. But that all comes from intimacy. And listen, we seek the intimacy in and of itself. Because if I say, okay, I want more intimacy with God so I can pray for the sick and see them healed, then what am I doing? I'm making it transactional again, right? Right? Now, I, I know that that's part of the deal, but it has to be, God, whether that happens or not, I want to seek you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to have a heart for you. And, you know, there, there, there are things that will happen. You know, one of the things that will happen when you really open your heart up for that, God, I want to walk in your love, receive your love. I want to wake up at night, God, yearning for you. If I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, I want to talk to you. I don't want to just bemoan the fact that I can't. I want to talk to you. We just begin to ask him that and start cultivating that in our hearts. One of the things that we'll see is not only will we see people differently, but we will enter into worship differently. When we come here to worship together, we're going to enter into worship with a new heart, a fresh heart. There's going to be less care about what other people are doing around us, and, and we're going to be able to focus more quickly on God and get lost in his presence. And, you know, Jesus' intimacy with God was so great that on one occasion it says that Jesus was praying alone. It says Jesus was praying alone, and his disciples were with him. Now, that's an odd statement. Was he alone or were they with him? <laughs> well, he was alone because he was so focused on God that it was as if they weren't there. He was, he was able just to enter into that fellowship, that intimacy with the Father. And it was that, that intimacy with the Father, that enabled him then to focus on other people with the totality of his being for, what, 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Just person after person after person because of his intimacy with the Father. And so I, I want to ask you to pray with me that God gives us a hunger for greater intimacy with him. That God gives us a desire for greater intimacy with him. And that then we cultivate that. As just that even as I'm speaking, if there's a spark arising in your heart, fan it into flame. 
Fan it into flame. Just cultivate it. Say, Jesus, what I'm feeling right now, I want this to be the thing that captivates my whole life. I want to be captivated by you. I want to desire you more than anything else in life. And I'm going to pray that right now. And I encourage you just to open your heart to him. If you're not, if you're not being stirred, then ask him to stir you. If you are, then fan the flame of that. And so, Father, um, stir our hearts. Stir our hearts. Open our eyes to see your goodness and your beauty. Give us greater desire to know you. Just to walk in your love and to bask in your incredible love for us. Oh, Lord, uh, if the desire is not there, then create it right now. Just right now. And Lord, as it is there, fan it into flame. Make it greater. Let us wake up at night yearning for you, longing for you. In Jesus' name, amen.